Amen. So we're in a series on serving the Lord, right? And you just saw an example of sometimes when you serve the Lord, you need to be adaptable and resilient. You just need to go with it because sometimes God shows you what's coming and you can be prepared and other times you don't see what's coming and you just have to sort of adapt and be resilient. And we thank our worship team for doing that this morning as well as the folks back there. You know, this technical stuff sometimes breaks down. What's going to be so glorious about heaven is there's not going to be any technical breakdowns. God's going to take care of all of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning as we continue our series going through the book of 2 Corinthians, looking at what does it mean to serve the Lord? What is a servant of God? Knowing that we are saved to serve. We're not saved to sit. We're not saved to be spectators. We are saved to be participants in the kingdom of God on this earth now that he's building in the hearts and lives of those who trust in Jesus as their Savior, and that he wants all of his people to be a part of what he's doing. And we're learning from the testimony of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, what does that look like? What does that entail? And today we want to talk about serving under the blessing of God in 2 Corinthians 11. And to do that, we need to talk for just a moment about what the blessing of God really is. Because I think there, even amongst Christians, there's a misunderstanding about the blessing of God. Some Christians feel that the blessing of God is uh, being healthy, wealthy, and no problems and all of that, that, that that's when I'm living under the blessing of God. That's not correct. The blessing of God is when we are aware that God is entrusting us and wanting to entrust into our care those things of greatest worth and value. That's what living under the blessing of God is. Realizing that God wants to bless us by entrusting us with what is of greatest value and worth. In other words, God always wants to give us more responsibility and greater responsibility than many times we want or are willing to or even think we can handle. Let's for a moment just talk about some of that from the Bible. You go all the way back to the beginning in creation, and God set creation up to be managed by human beings. He said to Adam, now that I've created all of this, I'm holding you responsible to manage it all. That, that was God's plan from the very beginning. Now, we know when sin came in, man at that point was incapable of truly managing it and stewarding it as God had intended and purposed for it. But God always believed that man could manage what he created. And that's why then God has made a way through Jesus Christ to one day have that restored to where you and I, according to God's word, are going to rule and reign with Christ forever and ever. I don't know about you, but that seems like a great responsibility. That seems like a lot of responsibility. 
But see, God many times sees in us what we don't see in ourselves or in each other. And God is always wanting to place more responsibility into our care. The question is, will we step out and step up and take it on, trusting in the Lord, or will we run from it or, you know, make the excuse of that, that we can't handle it or uh, I don't see myself doing that or some other thing, you see. I mean, let's take an example from the Bible that's very familiar to all of us, Moses. God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I want to give you the responsibility of leading my people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses, what? no, no, not me. Anybody but me. I mean, you got to get somebody else because I don't see me doing that. See, there was an instance where God saw in Moses what Moses didn't see in himself. And God wanted to give Moses more responsibility than he was willing to take on at that point. Same thing with the disciples. As soon as Jesus met Simon, he said, ah, you may see Simon. Maybe these other guys and gals see Simon, but I see a Peter inside of you, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men, not just a fisher of fishes. See, God sees that in all of us. And what Paul is going to point out is this. He's saying right now, even in this room, those watching live stream, I can give you this assurance. God wants to place more responsibility into your hands and what you're carrying right now. I can guarantee you that, you see. Are we at a point in our life where we'll say, bring it on, God, I trust you. I trust if, if you think I can handle it, maybe I don't think I can handle it, maybe others don't think I can handle it, but God, if you're laying it upon me to step into that, step up for that, whatever, then I will trust you in it. And what Paul wants to point out to the Corinthians is God's already given us great responsibilities that he's already expecting us to manage that many times as Christians we're not even thinking about. And so today, I want us to examine four great responsibilities that God has already placed into each of our hands that shows he thinks we can handle great responsibility because he's already placed these great responsibilities into our lives. And it's through service. It's through stepping up and being a servant of God that we become aware of the potential that each of us has in God, and we are then are trained by God through our service to handle even more responsibility. See, that's why Christians need to serve. It's essential that we serve. Otherwise, we will never see the potential that God has for each of us, and we will never, through that service, allow ourselves to be trained through being faithful in little things to then be able to be faithful over the more that God wants to give us. So the first responsibility that God has already placed into our care as Christians is the responsibility of our devotion. The responsibility of our devotion. Look at verse 2 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
for I am jealous for you. I have a spirit-fueled passion for you, Corinthians, with a godly jealousy because I promised you in marriage to one husband to present you as a pure virgin or bride to Christ. We'll come back to that later in the message. But I'm afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by the treachery, your minds may be led astray from a sincere and pure, and that I want you to really zero in on these next three words, devotion to Christ. Devotion to Christ. The greatest responsibility that God's already placed into our care is the most important relationship that you and I will ever have in our lives and throughout eternity. And that is the personal relationship that we have with none other than God himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Think about it. God gives us the responsibility to be involved with him, God, in a personal, relational way to where, even as Nicole pointed out, we can be as intimate and close with God as we want to be because God, through Christ, has removed all the barriers between us and him, and now it's up to us how much of Jesus do we want and that God gives us that responsibility. That's on us because God's already made the way. And, and how much do we truly love Jesus? And is he our first love? Do we in our lives realize the responsibility we have to manage that relationship and, and to not do it in a legalistic dutiful way, but because we want to, because our heart is in love with Jesus, that we have been captivated by Jesus Christ, and that we are totally devoted to him. He's our number one priority. He's our number one relationship in our life. God's already placed that responsibility into our care. That's why in the book of Revelation, Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, like the church at Corinth, you've what? You've left your what? First love. Which, by the way, the word left there speaks about going from the highest level or highest place down to a lower level. Any time that you and I are not putting Jesus Christ first in our life, we're actually descending. Left your first love. Jesus said to Martha, you remember the story of Mary and Martha? Whenever she was so distracted and so busy doing so many things and, and her sister Mary was just sitting at Jesus's feet, soaking that relationship up, not that he was saying service is important. He was trying to show Martha that there's a, a, a priority that needs to happen. And it's not that we don't serve, it's that we serve out of the overflow of our personal relationship and time with Jesus. And Jesus turned to Martha and said, one thing is needful. One thing is needful. And that's your devotion to me. As you are devoted to me, then you can serve in a more effective 
way. Paul said, one thing I do. He, he was very single-minded in his focus of going after Jesus Christ and knowing Jesus more intimately in his life. That was his single goal in his life. Everything else was subservient to that in Paul's life. One thing I'm going after, which ties into what Jesus said to all of us, that we should seek what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. David prayed, make me wholeheartedly committed to you, God. Give me an undivided heart. In Psalm 27, verse 4, David says, I've asked the Lord for one thing. This is what I desire more than anything else. I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life so that I may gaze at the splendor of the Lord and contemplate him in his house. You see it over and over again. A life that has a unified single purpose to it. And what is that? It is our devotion to Jesus Christ. And God's already given us that great responsibility of having that relationship. Let's face it. Even as Christians, we struggle with relationships. We struggle building them. We struggle maintaining them. We struggle with relationships. And God is trying to say, maybe one of the places we all need as Christians, especially to start, is start with your relationship with Jesus. Get that right. Put him first. Make him the love of your life. And then through that, God will show you and train you and all of that to all of us how then we can do better at all of our relationships in our life. But the greatest responsibility is our devotion to Jesus Christ. The second great responsibility that God's already placed into our care is the responsibility of our discernment, our discernment. If you've been with us through our study of 2 Corinthians, you know that Paul is defending his apostleship against those who've come into the church at Corinth and sought by their jealousy and envy of Paul to undermine his ministry to the Corinthians and, and to sort of lessen his influence in their lives. And Paul's calling them out. In fact, look at verse 13, 14, and 15 of 2 Corinthians 11. He says... These people that are trying to do this are up to no good. In fact, he says such people are false apostles. Paul, as plainly and directly as he could, is warning the Corinthians about being influenced by these counterfeiters. Notice he says they are deceitful workers. They are disguising themselves. They're masquerading. They are impersonating true apostles of Christ. And then he says this to all. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself or can disguise himself as an angel of light. Literally, Paul is saying, Satan has the wherewithal, the capability, the power to be able to clothe himself, to be able to dress himself, to present himself, to pretend to be an angel of light, even though he is the darkest angel ever. He can clothe himself outwardly as an angel of light. And then he goes on in verse 15 to say, therefore, 
It is not surprising that his servants, any of those who are being used by him, also can disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Oh, my goodness. Paul is saying, you realize that God is saying to his people, you're going to be up against the biggest deceiver and the biggest deceivers you could possibly come up against in your life. There's nobody more subtle and crafty and, 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 and uses, you know, trick, trickery and treachery and all that than your spiritual enemy. Then you're in a world that is full of deceptive people and all of that. And, and even your flesh can deceive you at, at a point, the fallen nature that we all have. And yet Paul is saying, by using these words, that God holds us responsible to cut through all the deception and be able to separate what is true from what is false. See, God gives us that responsibility. God doesn't set us into a world of deception and, and, and make us, you know, expose us to uh, someone like the devil and say, here's the great deceiver, and not give us the ability to be able to see through the deception and know the difference between what's coming from God and what's not coming from God. And God holds us responsible to manage that great responsibility every day of our lives because we live in a world of deception. Jesus said that Satan, your spiritual enemy, is the father of lies, that he's been lying from the very beginning. And we know that to be true because in the Garden of Eden, what does Satan tell Eve? Oh, God said you'd die if you ate that. You won't die. From the very beginning, Satan is a liar. And every day he's throwing lies into our life. And God says, I'm giving you the responsibility as my people because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in you to be able to test the spirits, as John says in 1 John, and see whether they're from God or they're not from God, and be able to tell the difference between what is false and what is true. That is a great responsibility today. Because again, our world is a world that is filled with deceivers and deception. In fact, to heighten the importance of this, let me share a couple verses out of the New Testament with you. Paul says in 1 Timothy, now the Spirit of God explicitly says that in the latter times, some will desert the faith and occupy themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. Do we really believe that? That Paul said, even those in the church, many will fall away from the faith and will follow deceiving teachings and demonic teachings. God holds us responsible not to be duped by our spiritual enemy, not to be duped by the deception of the world, not to be duped by others. Then he goes on to say in 2 Timothy, Paul, evil people and charlatans will go from bad to worse. In other words, the Bible teaches things aren't going to get easier for us as Christians, especially in the discernment area, 
it's going to get worse. There's going to be more and more deception and more and more deceivers as we get closer to the return of Christ and the end of things as we know it. So here's what the full verse says. Evil people and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and even being deceived themselves. And yet God not only gives us the great responsibility of our greatest devotion, our relationship to Jesus Christ, God already has placed into our laps, if you will, the great responsibility of being a discerning people, of being a perceptive people, of being a people who have insight and can see below the surface or further than others because he's given us his word, because we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, because we have the ability to pray and worship and be around other believers who are seeing things from God's perspective and aligning their lives with God. And the Bible even says, you want to be wiser, then walk with the wise, because a companion of fools suffers harm. So that's why it's important that we be part of the church and surround ourselves with believers who are getting it and who understand the bigger picture, because so many Christians today really don't understand where they're at and the world that they're living in and the enemy that's up that they're up against every day and they're in this spiritual stupor and they're in this spiritual malaise and they're just sort of being very complacent and just sort of letting things come as the world brings it to them and they're not in this heightened alertness and watchfulness that Jesus talks to his people about over and over and over again because he's telling us I'm holding you responsible for great things, and I want to give you even more things. And one of the things that I've given you is the responsibility of being a discerning people. So there's the responsibility of our devotion, there's the responsibility of our discernment, and then the responsibility in our difficulties. The responsibility in our difficulties. Please follow along as I begin reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul says about these false apostles that he's already called out to them, are they servants of Christ? By the way, this word will come back again later in the message. The word servant here speaks about those who are willing to advance the interest of someone else to the sacrifice of their own. And that's certainly true of those who want to be servants of God, that we are willing to sacrifice our own selfish interests for the interest of God. That's a true servant, one who gives themselves up for someone else. And there's no one greater that we could give ourselves up to or into than our Lord Jesus Christ. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like I'm out of my mind. I'm even more so with much greater labors, with far more imprisonments, with more severe beatings, facing death many times. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I received a stoning. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I spent adrift in the open sea. I've been on journeys many times, in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my own countrymen, in dangers from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, in dangers at sea, 
in dangers from false brothers, in hard work and toil through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, many times without food, in cold and without even enough clothing. I'll stop there. Can I not say, too, that this may be prime passage number one for those Christians who think that when I serve the Lord and give my life to serve him, there won't be any trials? Can, can we not say that that pretty much puts that in its place? Why? Because God has given his people, his servants, the responsibility of handling difficulty. See, not keeping us from difficulty, but actually realizing that difficulties and trials will come. Jesus even said, be of good courage. I've overcome the world. But before he said that, he said, in, your, in the world, you will have trouble and suffering. In fact, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but many of you might want to see this and put your own eyeballs on this verse. This is a great reminder from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 29. Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 29, it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to what? Suffer for him. It's actually a gift. Why? Because God gives us the responsibility of our difficulties and how we're going to respond to him. See, it's not that faithful Christians or faithful servants of God won't have difficulties, just like Paul had many. It's how do we respond to those difficulties? And that's where God says, I've given you that responsibility. How are you going to handle the difficulties of life when they come to you? And here's why that's so important, because the Bible tells us a couple things about these trials and difficulties. First of all, we know that as we serve the Lord and go through these difficulties and respond to them in a greater way, that you and I build up spiritual strength, stamina, and endurance. That's what the book of James talks about. That's why we count it all joy when we fall into various trials, James said, because the trial of our faith is producing spiritual stamina, strength, and endurance. So we know that these difficulties benefit us, but God also allows his people, his servants, to go through these difficulties because in them we have the responsibility to manifest our faith to our fellow believers and especially to unbelievers as we go through these difficulties. That's why Peter also writes that our trials are to show to others the proven character of our faith. They are to see our faith in God as we go through these difficulties. And that's why you can tell the difference between a growing and maturing believer and one who's a baby, immature Christian because for the most part, the baby, immature Christian, when difficulties come into their life, their first response is, God, why me? The maturing, growing Christian's first response is, God, how can you use this to not only spiritually benefit me, but how can you use this difficulty that you're allowing me to go through to manifest my faith to others? And God holds us responsible for that. That's why Paul listed all these. He wasn't trying to be a braggart. He wasn't trying to, to be proud about it. He was simply saying, oh, by the way, 
God's strength brought me through all that. And God sustained his servant through all that. So far from being discouraging to me, it was just like, I just kept on going. I just pushed it aside, whatever the difficulty was, and just kept on serving the Lord because I knew that as I served him, difficulties were going to come, and God allowed them to come so that others could see my faith in God through those difficulties. Some of you today may be sitting right now in a time of life where you're going through a real trial. I want to encourage you. As a child of God and as a servant of God, God hasn't taken his eye off of you or you haven't upset God in any way. He's not mad at you for allowing you to go through what you're going through. He is actually entrusting you with a great responsibility to show others that he can be trusted to bring you through even very difficult trials. And I don't think any of us in our lives, are going to go through the trials that Paul listed here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I don't think any of us will ever go through what Paul went through. And God told him from the very beginning when he met him on that road to Damascus, you're going to have to suffer many things as my servant, but I'm going to use you in a way unlike maybe any other person I've ever used to touch people's lives and to bring them into the kingdom. And God wants to see that we have that kind of heart attitude as well because God's already placed into our lives great responsibility and wants to give us more. He wants to remind us, I've already given you the greatest responsibility of any devotion you'll ever have, your relationship to Christ. I've already given you the responsibility of discernment, of cutting through all the lies and falsehoods and deception of, of the world in which you live and being able to tell the difference. I'm already giving you the responsibility of handling difficulties in your life. And one other one, the responsibility in our duty. And as a pastor of a local church, this one especially hits me. Because I think we live in a day and an age where Christians, and we even see this statistically, are less and less interested in really being involved and faithful to a local church. And yet God has already told his people when he built the church, this is my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I think one day, one of the things that you and I as Christians are going to be accountable for is how did we handle the responsibility of our devotion? How did we handle the responsibility of our discernment? How did we handle the responsibility of our difficulties? And how did we handle the responsibility in our duty to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because notice in verse 28, Paul says, Apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxious concern for all the churches. By the way, that word or those words, anxious concern, speak about a care given to a valued object. Paul is saying, why did I care so much about the churches? Because they are of great value to me. Why are they of great value to Paul? Because Paul says they're of great value to you. See, God, I know that you value your church because it's your church. You're the one that's building your church. And therefore, your people, your servants, should realize the duty that we have towards your church, your people, your body. Oh, yes, your bride. 
So please turn back with me to the first couple verses of 2 Corinthians 11 for just a moment. And let me pick it up again in verse 2. I told you I'd come back here. Paul says, I'm jealous for you in Corinth with godly jealousy because I promised you in marriage to one husband, and who's the husband, who's the bridegroom? Jesus, to present you as a pure virgin or pure bride to Christ. We are not only the church, we are the bride of Christ. Think about that. We're the bride of Christ. Okay, Jeff, I get that. So how's that speak to duty? Well, if you want to, flip over to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. We're going to get to this verse in a couple weeks in our study through Revelation. But here's a fascinating thing. It's in the passages talking about the wedding celebration of the Lamb, or what I like to call the wedding reception of the Lamb, when the bridegroom now comes to get the bride and take her home. You see, there's sort of two main steps to the ancient Jewish wedding. There was the betrothal stage, where the, the future husband and future wife were betrothed to each other. But then they did not consummate the marriage or live together at that point. They obviously went back to their own home. And at some time in the future, unbeknownst to the bride, the bridegroom would leave his house, would go with his family and his entourage, and they would show up at the house of the bride. And that was then when they sort of got back together, and they would then have the wedding celebration, the wedding reception, as we like to call it today. And obviously then that night, they would consummate the marriage. That's where we're living in that in-between period where you and I, in a sense, have been through being a believer in Jesus Christ. We've been betrothed to Christ, but now we're waiting for our bridegroom to come and to get us and to take us to be with him you see. But we're the bride. And notice in Revelation 19:7 a very fascinating phrase. It says that you and I have the responsibility as the bride of Christ to make ourselves ready for the celebration. That's not God's responsibility. That's our responsibility as the bride of Christ to make ourselves ready to meet our bridegroom. That's up to us. How do we do that then? If it's up to me to, in a sense, build my own garment for the wedding celebration and to make sure that I'm ready to meet my bridegroom to be the most beautiful bride, if you will, as the church that we can be, how do we do that? Through each of us doing our part in the bride, in the body, in the church, to strengthen, to help grow, to help encourage each other to become all that God created us to be. That's a responsibility of our duty towards each other in the church. You don't hear that a lot today. That's why less and less people are coming to church and being involved with church and truly serving in the church, because it's not of value to them, even though Paul says it should be of great value to us, because we are the bride of Christ, and it's our responsibility to make ourselves ready to meet our bridegroom one day. So leave 2 Corinthians, and go with me then to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. 
You've heard me share these verses before, and I want to share them again with you today. And I'm just going to pick it up in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 4. But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ, making ourselves a beautiful bride for our bridegroom who is the head. From him the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament, as each one does its part. Please don't miss that phrase. As each one does its part, the body will grow in love and become a more beautiful bride for our bridegroom. We'll become all that we, the church, the body of Christ, were created and saved and meant to be. And it is our duty as children of God, as Christians, to just do our part. God's not asking us to do more than our part. God is simply saying, what part are you to play in my bride? making herself more beautiful. What part are you to play in my church, in my body, in order to encourage and strengthen and, and help each other as Christians become all that we were saved to be? That's a responsibility and our duty that God has given to each one of us. That's a great responsibility, our part. See, why is that even so timely for us as a church? Because nine weeks from today, we start two services on September the 12th, two services, where God's going to bring in even more people to our church that he's going to hold us responsible for, to keep creating an environment where through our worship and through the word of God, we can become a more beautiful bride to meet our bridegroom. And God is simply saying, are you willing to play your part? Are you willing to take on the responsibility, the greater responsibility that I want to give to each of you? Keeping in mind, if we're not realizing it and aware of it every day, God's already placed a lot of great responsibility into our laps that maybe we don't think about very often. The responsibility of our devotion, our discernment, our difficulties, and our duty towards one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet God is saying, oh, I got even more for you. I got even more for you. And as Mike said, there's so many areas right here where we just need you to step up and be willing to do your part. I want you to think about that because in these next couple weeks, as we wrap this message series up, in two weeks from today, we're going to have an anointing service at the end of our service. And I'm going to be anointing all of you that want to come and sort of just give yourselves in service to the Lord in maybe a new way, maybe in just renewing the service that you're already involved in. But God is building us to a point, and he wants to take us further than where we are right now. He wants to take us individually further than where we are right now. But the question is, are we going to be at this moment like Moses and say, nope, God, not me, find somebody else. Or are we going to say, God, if that's what you have for me, bring it on. I accept. Because remember, the definition of a servant is one who is willing to sacrifice their own interests to promote the interest of the one that we love more than anyone else. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Are we there? Are we there?
would you stand with me and let's pray. God, I ask today that each of us would be willing, God, to say, take my life, God, not mine, it's yours. I have been bought with a great price, the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything I am and everything I will have one day, God, throughout eternity is only because of you. And God, how should I ever withhold from you? I give you all that I am, God, this day. And God, if you want me to step up and do a particular part in your body, then may I be willing to take it on, God. May I, may I be willing to say yes, God, to you. God, whatever responsibility you want to give me, God, help me to realize I'm already responsible for many great things. You can, you can help me with that one too. Because God will never give us responsibility that he will not equip us and enable us to handle. That's the truth. That's why God holds us responsible for such great things. Not because in and of ourselves we can handle it, but with God, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's what God's looking for today. So God, may you just seal some things in your people today as we proclaim our devotion to you above all else. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.